Now, in Galatians chapter 1, if you're like uh, Pam and you write down everything that I say up here, and you'll be able to go back and recall it to me later on when I deny it, you will know that just late last year, October 30th, as a matter of fact, I brought a message out of this first chapter of Galatians, and it was the 6th through the 10th verse, I believe it was. Well, I'm going to go back today and hit the first five, Galatians 1, 1 through 5, because this hit on what we were talking about last week as well, how we ended uh, last week's message. It spoke and touched on knowing God's will, knowing God's will. Now think about this. How many times have we talked with someone? How many times have we heard the comment, uh, maybe read something or heard somebody talk on TV? If only mankind could know the will of God. If only we could know what God's will is. How much we could accomplish, what we could do. And Christian today, I'm afraid that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we are going to be absolutely astounded that we made something so simple so complicated. Amen. You know, that we just absolutely positively made a mountain out of a molehill. Now, you know, like I said a while ago, I know... Uh, that the reports of my, you know, goodness and, you know, ability to adapt have gotten out there that y'all think very highly of me. But Sonia will tell me, and she will tell you as well, that if there is a way to make something easy, hard, I can do it. I can do it. I can find the hard way to do something. I can take a week to do a day's job. I can take something that should take five minutes and make it last all day long. I can do that. If it's not broken, I can break it. But you see, we have before us in this written word here, the written word of God, we have the very mind of God. We have the very person of Jesus Christ. We have the ability we have the assurance of knowing what God's will is. And we can accomplish his will. Amen. Let's start over here. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now this is not earth shattering by any stretch of the imagination. This is not some of that, you know, for God so loved the world. Uh, this is just simply an introduction. But there's something in this introduction that is earth-shattering. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you 
and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present world, present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now notice here, this is a simple introduction that Paul is writing, that his, uh, you know, no doubt his Amonesius or whatever, he may have written it with his own hand. There's debate about that, but that doesn't matter. We know that this is Paul's thoughts for the churches uh, over there in the area of Galatia. He wants them to know uh, that he has been called, what, not by man, nor by any other man, but by Jesus Christ himself. This Jesus Christ that's been, what, raised from the dead. Make sure everybody knows that. And then he writes to all those that are with him there, to all the churches over in Galatia, Grace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And then here we go. Here we have it. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Get this. Who gave himself for our sins. That he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. You see, even in a simple introduction, Paul reveals to us what is the will of God. Notice how he addresses the churches over there. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, okay, that he might what deliver us from this present evil world. Now, think about this, church. If we need deliverance from something, that something is probably pretty bad news, isn't it? That something is probably something we don't need to be involved in. If we need to be delivered from something, it's something that's not good for us. It's not some place that we should be. But guess what? We're born into this world of sin, aren't we? You see, we're born into this world of sin. And by our very sinful human nature, we are sinful. And we're born into this world, and therefore, to have a right relationship with God, we must be delivered from this world. And Paul's simply telling the churches over there, this is how he was delivered, this is how you get delivered. Grace, peace, all this from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Who gave himself for our sins. That he might deliver us. Okay? You see, there's none of this uh, meeting for negotiation stuff here. There's none of this stuff, you do what you can, I'll do what I can on this end. No, this is all Jesus Christ. This is 199.9% Jesus Christ. There is no room for anything that mankind does in this statement. Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. 
In other words, Paul says, the world that you live in right now is evil. It's evil. It's not just the, the you know, this place over here, that place over there, the big cities, you know, and uh, the foreign countries. No, he said this world is evil. And we know that to be true because we learn from Scripture that Satan himself is the prince of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. He is going about in this world seeking whom he may devour. He has that right because we gave it to him. You see, mankind gave him that right. There at the Garden of Eden, we sure did. We turned the deed over to him. You say we can be like God? You say we don't have to listen to God? Guess what? Here you go. Here's the deed, Satan. I believe you more than I believe God. Wrong choice. Wrong choice. That's why we live in an evil world. That's why. Because sin invaded what God had intended to be perfect. Well, it was perfect. And it was God's will that it stay perfect. Now, you see, we've talked about this before. We've mentioned this before. A lot of people will tell you, if something's the will of God, you're not going to stop it. And I'm sorry, but that's just not true. That's not true. There's some things that God cannot do. Our God, there's some things he cannot do. He cannot lie. He cannot break his promise. He will not. It goes against his very nature. And he will not force you to love him nor to serve him. That goes against his very nature. 1 John 4, 16, God is love. Is love. Not has love, shows love, uh, you know, uh, emanates love. No, he is love. And you don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to have a master's. You don't have to have a bachelor's. You don't have to have a high school education. You don't even need to ever have been to a school before to be able to know that you will never, ever in this life go up to somebody else and make them love you. Never. But you see, God is love. And therefore, by his very nature, being love, he will never force you to love him. And you see, because that's the case, even though it's his will that you come to know Jesus Christ, he's not going to force you. He's not going to uh, make you Do something against your will. Notice what Paul said. That this Jesus gave himself for our sins. That he might deliver us from this present evil world. According to the will of God. And our Father. According to the will of God. And our Father. So it is the will of of God that Christ gave himself for our sins. It is the will of God that 
he, Jesus Christ, would deliver us, sinful mankind, from this present evil world. See, we've talked about this before. Everything, everything that Scripture teaches us about the, the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. When Jesus Christ was here, all he did was bring glory to the Father. That's what his life was about. He patterned his life the way we should be living our life, to bring glory to the Father. And if we look, you know, the, the very few times that we get to a glimpse into what God the Father is thinking, we see what? He is, is sending his glory back to his Son. He wants his Son to be glorified. He's going to bring all things under his Son's feet. All things will be brought under the Son. That's his will that everything be brought under his son. We see that over in Colossians. But you see, that is God's will. And it is his will, what? That we might be delivered from our sinful condition in this present world by none other than his son, Jesus Christ. That's the will of God. That is the will of God. Now notice this. In that fourth verse there. Jesus gave himself for our sins. Okay? It was he that died for my sins. According to the law, according to the law of God, the very word of God, which cannot be broken, blood has to be shed for sins to be forgiven. And you see, they brought the rams, the bulls, the goats, the doves, and all such as that. They brought those to the temple, and they shed the blood of those animals, but it never erased the sin. It simply covered it up, pushed it back to the next year. Because that was not perfect. There was only one perfect sacrifice that could have been made that would have forgiven sins. And that was God's Son, Jesus Christ. But he had to be, what, 100% man and 100% God. People say, well, that's not true. That's not the... Possible. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> you better believe it is. He's 100% man. He's 100% God. He's the God man. Every bit, the deity of God himself, every bit, the infallacy of mankind. He had every, every, every uh, opportunity, every reason to sin just like we did. But he didn't. But he didn't. Tempted by Satan, yet not once. Not once did he waver. Not once did he step out of line. You see, it was God's will that his son accomplished this. People will go through this life telling you that God's 
chosen this person. God's chosen that person. God's chosen this to happen. God's chosen that to happen. The What God has chosen from the foundation of the world is that everything would be brought under his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Everything flows back. Through Jesus. Everything goes through Jesus. It is God's will that his son be lifted up and glorified. You see, that's what it's talking about a while ago. We make it so complicated, don't it? You hear some preacher get up and talk about, well, you know, I think it's God's will that I I have a church, you know, that's uh, got this many rooms on it that that holds this many people or, you know, you, you get up and hear preachers. Uh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to step away from, uh, you know, daily ministry because God's calling me to the other side of the world. And that's all good and everything such as that. But you see these things that, that we men are saying with our lips that are God's will are not in this word. They're not in this book. They may be things that you want to do. They may be things that you want to accomplish. And that's okay. That's not wrong. But don't call them God's will. Because they're not. God's will is that his son be glorified. And you see, if what you're doing with your life is bringing glory to Jesus Christ, guess what? There you go. You're doing God's will. You're doing God's will. And it doesn't have to be some great revelation. You don't have to be knocked out there in your room and Jesus come down and visit you with a a mighty voice and, and talk to you. No, you can do God's will by simply accomplishing with your life that that lifts up Jesus Christ. That's what He's called us to do. What is the will of God? We make it so complicated, don't we? King James right here translates thelema. Thelema. You know we're going to have a Greek word, don't you? Thelema. As will. 64 times. Okay? Well, it translates it 62 times as will. That word thelema is in the King James 64 times. 62 is translated as will. One is translated as desire. That's in Ephesians 2, 3. And one is translated as pleasure. That's in Revelations 4, 11. If you've been around me before, you know what Revelations 4, 11 says. And you see, that is the same word that we call will. We all know what a will is. We all know what somebody's will. When somebody dies, they leave what? A will. It's their wishes. It's their desires of what happened. If, uh, uh, you know, uh, say next week, I'm pretty sure some, you know, everybody's heard about our our local team making good and and headed down there and going to play in that that big game, the Super Bowl, you know. Uh, But we all, all the football fans know that uh, the football is a game of what? It's about imposing your will upon another team. It's your will that you win. It's, uh, It's my will that, you know, my family prosper. There's all kinds of things we can apply our will to. It's simply our desires, our wants, our wishes. It's what we want to happen. God's will is what he wants to happen. 
It's what he wants to happen. It's nothing mysterious. It's nothing that you have to be uh, some kind of a great scholar or some kind of preacher to uh, search out the great wisdoms and know what the will of God is. No, it's simply God's desire for those that he loves, mankind. And some people will have the audacity, the, the ignorance to question, well, I don't even know if God loves me or not. Don't make me mad. The very fact, the only thing that you ever need to know, the only thing that you ever need to understand is how much God loves his son. Well, I know how much God loves his son. You know, that's pretty obvious. All right? Well, then you know how much God loves you. Because he allowed Jesus Christ, his son, his darling son, to step into humanity, to take on this robe of flesh, <coughs> and to suffer and to die that you might have eternal life, that your relationship to our God might be restored. That's how much God loves you. Blows my mind. It's just more than I can comprehend, more than I can understand. But I know that it's God's will that everyone be saved. It's his will that everyone be saved. You know, for almost 6,000 years, I'm a young earth creationist, by the way, okay? I happen to believe Genesis as it's written in the Bible. For almost 6,000 years, mankind has been perplexed by their inability to correctly discern the will of God. And this is only because of an issue that happened at the fall in the Garden of Eden. What's the difference between what Adam and Eve experienced then and, what, and the world today? You know what the difference is. What's, what's the difference between that first day when God created Adam and Eve and everything was perfect? What's the difference between then and now? Sin. Sin. <coughs> you see, sin thwarts the will of God. Specifically pride, I might add. I'm a, I'm a big proponent, big believer. Pride is the foundation of all sin because it comes back to what I want. You see, it, that's, that's what it comes back to. What I want is what? Is my will. You ever think about that? Talk about God's will. You got a will too. Do you know you have a will? You have desires, you have wants, you have a will. Are you doing your will or are you doing God's will? Well, I never thought about it like that. Well, you better start thinking. We, we better start thinking because all we have to do what, is look around us and see what kind of shape our world is in to see what's going on in our world to see how, I, I mean, 
the way that things have changed in the last 20 years, I mean, it's just absolutely mind-blowing that, that things can be accomplished and changed so fast. But the difference between that world and our world today is sin. Satan convinced Adam and Eve that they could be like God. That God didn't really mean that they were going to die. And they believed a lie. And sin entered into this world. How can we know the will of God? Let's travel off in different places. Matthew chapter 18. We find a little instance over there where Jesus is talking uh, and, and letting the people know. Of course, he's teaching his disciples, but then he's, uh, the people are around him listening. And this is what he says. Matthew chapter 18, verses 13 and 14. And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoices more than of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Of course, we're picking up at the end of the story, okay, of the, the ninety and nine sheep, all right, and the hundred, and then you, you leave the ninety and nine and you go after the one. And this is the end of that story. But look what he says in the next verse, verse 14. <laughs> Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Pretty simple, okay? Once again, it's not the will of the Father that one of these little ones should perish. It's not his will. God has never created anything for the specific purpose of sending it to a devil's hell. Never. Never. God is love. He has not done that. His very nature demands justice. And we know that from what Deuteronomy, by the word, by the law that was given to the Jewish people, if you wanted to convict somebody of a capital crime, in other words, you wanted to sentence them to death, you had to have what? Two or more witnesses. Just one. <laughs> no. You think American justice is swift? No. Two or more. <coughs> Two or more witnesses to condemn a person to die. And you want to tell me that same God is going to create something and condemn it to die without even giving it a chance to repent or to bear witness against it? Not going to happen. No, you're talking about my God. That's not him. But you see, it's not his will that any of these little ones should perish. Look uh, a little further. Because we know that God desires that none perish. So if you're, if you're wondering, well, how can I do God's will? <laughs> how can I accomplish God's will for my life? You're on a rescue mission. We are on a rescue mission. Amen. We are out there rescuing the lost. Remember what Paul said, this present evil world, uh, some people are under uh, this, this grand delusion that we're going to make this world a good place. 
We're going to make everything oh so good. We're going to take over the government, us Christian folk, and we're going to make everything right, and then everything will get good, and Jesus will be uh, ready to come back. No, no, no. No, notice what Paul said. This present evil world, this present evil world is going to stay evil until Jesus himself comes back and sets up his throne and takes over the rule. But not until then. There's there's not going to be some great revival at the end of time where people are going to do, there'll be an outpouring of God's spirit now. Don't get me wrong. His people will know, but there's not going to be a grand revival where nations will come running back to God anymore. They have turned their back on him. But still, it's not his will that any of those people perish. It's not his will. Look at this, John chapter 1. You know we'd get to this chapter. John chapter 1, let's look at verse 11. 11 through 13. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but what? Of God. Of God's will. It is God's will that everyone be saved by the blood of Christ. It is His will that everyone, but as many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become what? The sons of God. Now don't get don't get tripped on this. This is not a male-female thing, okay? Because back in Genesis chapter 3, we know that God called Adam and Eve Adam. Man, he called them both that. That's their name. And this title, the sons of God, that we see here in the Old Testament is Benai Elohim. And it's a title that is used exclusively of two different things, angels and Adam. That's it. Angels and Adam. They were the only two things that were Benai Elohim. They were creations, direct creations of God. You and I are sons of man. We're descendants of Adam and Eve. But Adam was a direct creation of God. The angels were a direct creation of God. But notice what God says. I'm sending my son. You accept my son. Guess what? I'm going to make you, Benah, Elohim, a son of God, a direct creation of God. Of God. I'm going to take away your sins. I'm going to make you pure. I'm going to make you whole. And you are going to be my child. That is God's will. That is his will for our life. That we might be his direct creation. 
It is God's will that those who believe in His Son shall be saved. That is His will. Over in chapter 6, verse 39, He says this, And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. You've probably heard that verse before. Probably been told that. Well, you see, that's, that's how we know that God only chose this many and that many because, you know, uh, Jesus said this. <laughs> but they don't read this next verse, do they? Verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Now you tell me, have you ever seen the sun? Nope. Nope. So what is this verse saying? It is the will of him that sent me that everyone which seeth the sun. What's he talking about? He's talking about seeing with your spiritual side, isn't he? He's talking about believing in faith. That's what he told Thomas. Thomas, you've seen and you believe. But I'm telling you, Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This is what Jesus is saying. Everyone that seeth the Son with the eyes of faith, it is my Father's will that they have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Hmm. Yeah. You see, God's will is not complicated. God's will is not complicated. God doesn't have seven billion different wills, one for each of our life, okay? I'm sorry to break it to everybody, but we are not the center of God's universe. Now, don't get me wrong, he loves you, okay? He loves you. Jesus is the center of his universe. And you see, when we become saved and born again in Christ, then technically you're the center of his universe. But it's not because of you, it's because of Jesus. Yeah. It's just like, you know, one of my girls. You know, if they, they bring home some guy or something like that, you know, if he just shows up at my door, you know, I'm going to be like, you know, you need to get lost. But if one of my daughters says, Daddy, you know, I want you to meet this guy. Then I'll be like, okay, well, you, you can come in too. But it's only because of my daughter. You see what I'm saying? You ain't coming in because I like you. Right? You ain't coming in because I want to talk to you. You only in here because my daughter likes you. And you walking on thin ice at that. So, you know, don't mankind don't need to be getting these delusions that that God just loves us so much that he's going to just look over everything wrong that we've ever done. So you got these namby-pambies out there today. Oh, God's a loving God. He's not going to send anybody to hell. No, he's not. You're going to send yourself there. Amen. You're going to walk right over the trample, the mercies of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's made a way for us to be saved. And it is not the Father's will that any of us should perish. But what? All should come to what? Repentance. 
we ended with this verse last week. I kind of tied that in there. I didn't even have to change these two slides. But that all should come to repentance. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know what repentance is? You know what it means to repent? What? Joey, doesn't it mean it means to pray and to cry and have an emotional experience? And uh, no, no, repent simply means to turn around, go the other way. That's what it means. You see, we as human beings, born into our sinful nature, when we hit the ground, we're on the broad road. We're on the road to destruction. You want to wind up in hell? Just stay on the road you on. That's all you got to do. Just stay on the road that mankind sets you on. You're going to go. You're headed that way. But if you want to get off of that road, if you want to get on the narrow way, you want to get on the pathway that most people don't get onto, you've got to make an effort to do that. You've got to get over it. And you've got to get off of this road. That's repentance. You see, you're on the Broadway. Just just keep following the crowd. Just keep going with the flow. Y'all been in these big cities before, been on the sidewalk, and when everybody's out there, you just keep going. But if you ever want to stop and go in somewhere, it's going to meet resistance. That's repentance. Because that's when mankind has to say, I'm headed this way. God, I know, because it's his will, does not want me to go that way. I don't want to go that way. God, you have sent me your word. You have made it clear to me, God, that Jesus Christ, your son, has sacrificed and paid the price for my sins. I'm headed to hell. There's nothing I can do about it. But you've paid a price. You've redeemed me. Father, I'm not walking that way anymore. I'm going your way. That's repentance. Not just to keep going the way you've been going, but to change your mind. And you see, to to turn off of that path and to start going another way, you see, that's not just, that's not turning over a new leaf. That's not, you know, starting over or anything like that. That's a total, total change in your life. When you commit your life to Jesus Christ, it changes who you are. It changes everything about you. Because once you believe this, you will never be the same again. Wind up with this one that we wound up with last week. Same thing. (coughs) We talked about him. Ephesians (coughs) chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. Paul said, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will. This is the way a lot of us approach God's will. But notice what Paul goes on to say. 
according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, even in him. This is God's will. At the end of all things, when things are done, when this life is over, when what somebody else down the road thinks of you has no matter or meaning anymore and you stand solely and singly before God Almighty, the only thing that will matter in your life is have you bent, have you accepted His will for your life and repented of your sins, not someone else's, your sins, and accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your life. That's the only thing. The only thing. What my last name is don't matter. What I do or don't have in this wallet in my back pocket or in the the checking account don't matter. What I drove up in here don't matter. Whether this tie's got a designer name on it or not, don't matter. What kind of shoes I got on, don't matter. Who I hang out with on the weekend, don't matter. Who my family used to be, uh, don't matter. None of that matters when you stand before God on that day. Only have you repented and accepted Christ as your Savior. Accepted His His payment, he made the payment through his death on the cross. He made the payment, the one that I don't have the funds to pay. I don't. But what does Christ say? I've got you. All you do is believe in me. You believe I did this for you? You turn that life around, you repent, turn, you repent. There's repentance involved, okay? Don't, don't buy into this buddy Jesus stuff. You just you just sign a card or say something and just keep on going the way you're going. No, you didn't get saved. You didn't find salvation. You might have had a good emotional experience, but you didn't get saved. Because when you get saved, you turn around and go the other way. You leave all of that other foolishness. And you start chasing and following after God. It consumes who you are. You follow after Christ. You desire to be like Him. You want to live your life like Him. You want to follow His commandments. You do everything you can to stay as close as you can to Christ. If you're doing something else, you're just fooling yourself. If you're still following on that straight, that broad road to destruction, you're fooling yourself. Because when you're following after Christ, it changes who you are. It changes everything about you. And you see, that's God's will. Can I know God's will for my life? You better believe it. Get out there and tell somebody the good news. Be a witness to someone. When somebody hears words coming out of your mouth tomorrow at work or at school, let them bring glory to God. How about that? When, when you bump into somebody at, at the work in the hall, 
and they tell him a bunch of foolishness, and you just keep on going, let them say, what's got into them? What's wrong with them? They, you think you're too good, don't you? You know what I'm talking about. You think you better than we are. No. No, no, no. I'm the worst it's ever been. But listen, the best it's ever been said he loved me enough to save me. And I'm going to give my life to him. Even if it means hurting your feelings. I'm sorry. You don't need the foolishness of the world. You don't need all this foolishness going on in this world. All you need is to stay in his will. What is his will? That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. See those words, one and all? <laughs> There, there's no mistake about that, okay? One means one. All means all. And God says, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That's God's will. That's God's will. Does your life fit in with that? See what I'm saying? Is your life fitting in with that? You may be teaching Sunday school to four, five, six, seven little kids. You may be holding a baby during service. You may teach kids on Wednesday night that seem like they don't ever listen to you. You may be one of 12 people that show up back here uh, tonight on Sunday. You may be one of 10 that come out here on Wednesday night. And you may think, why am I doing this? What does this accomplish? You better believe if you're doing what God wants you to do to bring Jesus Christ glory and to lift him up, you're doing his Will. People will look at, you know, a few years ago we went up to, uh, we took a group of kids uh, uh, to South Carolina to camp and we made a trip up to North Carolina up to uh, wherever it is that uh, Billy Graham's got his museum and all such as that. Went beautiful place, beautiful place. And you look at that and, you know, and I think people will go through there and they'll think to themselves, this is the way mankind thinks. Man, what a treasure this man's going to have in heaven. And I'm not disputing that in any way. I'm not disparaging that man in any way whatsoever. Don't get me wrong. But listen to this. Listen to me, all right? Because I am convinced, I am convinced that if he is there, uh, he will be probably, he'll be ahead of me, okay? He'll be ahead of me in line, uh, but we'll both be way on back toward the back of the line. Because all that, that big fancy museum, uh, all those millions of people uh, that he's uh, reached through television and stuff like that, God is not concerned with numbers. 
God is not in a race with somebody. God is not trying to impress anybody. It's just like he told us simply, I don't want your sacrifice. I want your obedience. He wants us to love him. Are you loving God? Then you're doing his will. That's it. Plain and simple. Doesn't matter how. You see, this is what mankind does. How much are you doing? I'm doing this much. Well, I'm doing this much. That's what we do, ain't it? We try to measure it. Well, I do this, I do that. Well, I mind this. And God says, no, 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 no. No, no, no. It's not about how much you do. It's about how much you love me. How much you love me. Brother Mayo, come with verse of Psalms. This is the invitation for this day. <coughs> we don't know the hearts and minds of everyone here. We've talked about salvation. We've talked about believing in Jesus Christ. You know the definition of the gospel. I don't have to tell you again, but I'm going to. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, that if you believe that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, if you believe that He was buried and that He was risen again according to the Scriptures, then you are saved. That's it. You believe that, you're saved. But if you believe it, if you really believe it, let me tell you something. You're never going to be the same. Never going to be the same. It changes everything about you. But if you need to make that decision today, you can do it where you're at. You can do it at this altar. You can come and talk to me if there's somebody else you would rather talk to. Listen, that's okay. It's not about form or fashion. It's about you making a decision to believe in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If there's something you want to come and pray about today, there will be people here that will meet you at this altar. Let's take care of that today. But whatever the need is, whatever the desire of your heart, let's take care of that before we get out of here. What you singing, Brother Mayo?